So yeah, my name's Aaron. I go to Lakeview Christian Center. I've been there for about nine years. Um, have uh, my, my wife is here. Her name's Ashley. And then we have four children and also we're foster parents. So we, we have a, a five-year-old living with us as well from Honduras. And so we have five kids from 17 to five. So we're in the thick of it right now. So y'all can always pray for us in that matter. Um, so a little bit about me. I'm in the restaurant business as well. Um, in my 20s, I was on staff at a church as the student pastor, and then now at Lakeview for the last six or so months, I've taken that responsibility on over at the church, uh, which has been just a lot of fun. You know, like when you have your first kid, and then you, by the time you have your second, third, or fourth, you're like, man, I wish I could redo the whole thing because I'm so much better. It kind of is like the second round of student ministry where I'm like, man, I really messed things up that first time, and I can make those things right now. So it's, it's been a lot of fun. Um, so yeah, thank y'all for having me. I appreciate it. It's good to be with you here today. Um, we're going to be out of uh, talking around First Peter chapter two today, and I'm just going to read the passage that we're going to hang out in, and then we'll pray. First Peter chapter two, verse eighteen through twenty-one is is what I'm going to read. It says, "Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to." the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures suffering, I'm sorry, sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you endure, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure. But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for bringing us here today. We truly are grateful uh, for drawing us to become your people, God. And Father, I ask that you would open our eyes and our hearts to hear your word. Change us, God, from the inside out. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 So, so I mentioned we're foster parents. So we've had this little girl for a couple of years now, and, um, and she's just now part of our family, of course. But um, when she came to us, she didn't speak a word of English. She couldn't walk. And so we've had quite a journey with this little girl. We have seen some severe injustice uh, from the time that she came to us. Uh, we saw a child at three years of age suffer unjustly uh, and, and undeserving of that suffering. And of course, when you're faced with that kind of experience, you ask yourself some questions and you observe the world around you a little bit through a different lens. And uh, then when you get up close and personal with the court system that is caring for this child now that she's in our care, um, you also are so grateful for that mediation that is happening and you also see the brokenness of the system. Um, because the world around us, including all of us, we are broken in so many ways. And so we certainly cannot expect that things can be made right. And the suffering should be like, man, we're going to take care of this thing. And it's going to be perfect as a result. And justice will be served. And that's not been our experience so far. Without getting into the details of it, it seems like justice is not being served. It seems like there's something like are we missing this? Are they missing this? Like, how is this going on this long? And how is this experience this bizarre? It seems to be an open and shut case. This is unjust what is happening. 
It's kind of what it feels like. You know, um, a recent report, 2021, uh, the name of the report, if you guys care to know, is called the National Registry of Exonerations Report. Stated that in 2020, 129 people were exonerated from the prison system. And of those, 103 of them were exonerated because the witness committed perjury or had a false accusation against that person. And that's just like a small sample of the people who were found out, right? And that's a small sample of the people who were found out who were in prison. And that's a small sample of those people in this very small country that we live in that makes up a minority population of humankind. Injustice is all over the world. It's all over. It's everywhere. It's always. Have you ever been on the receiving end of injustice? Have you ever suffered harm? Harm because of someone accusing you of something or are you in the middle of something right now where you feel like you have been disserviced? You have been given something you don't deserve or watch someone go through something that, man, if you could have your way with that person who did this to that person, you, ooh, don't let me catch you on the street, right? And so we've all been through injustices. It's everywhere. And the Bible talks a lot about it. God has something to say about injustice. It's at the core of who he is. We'll find out. So Peter, the guy who's writing the book, he's writing this about 30 years after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Okay, so Peter, just as a reminder, was a man who uh, was first called by Jesus with his brother to become his disciple. So from the very, very beginning, this man, Peter, was brought to Jesus' side. He was a fisherman. And then not only was he brought to Jesus' side, but he became a leader among those 12, sort of a spokesperson for those people. And he became not only just a leader in, those, in the 12, a spokesperson for them, but also he was within kind of the three closest people to Jesus. So, man, he was right. He was side by side. I mean, everything that we can read in the Gospels about Jesus, you, we can probably believe that Peter was right there watching the whole thing. All of the all of the injustice that happened to Jesus in his public ministry for those few years. I mean, I think it's pretty safe to say that Peter was around for most of that injustice. So it's not just the guy who doesn't kind of know what's going on. He was the guy who also followed Jesus to the Garden of Gethsemane and then watched watch these guards come and get Jesus. And they were accusing, they were coming because they were accusing him of false things. He, un, he saw it unfolded before him the injustice that was going to be served to the Son of God. He was so angered by that injustice that he pulled his sword out and swiped an ear off of somebody. What a precise move that must have been. <laughs> and so, he, he not only does he see the injustice, but you see his reaction to the injustice is much like probably how we would respond. And then you'd like to think that he would be a person with that type of courage that would follow Jesus through that injustice and speak on his behalf the entire time, but that's not what we find. Almost moments later, we find him denying that he even knows this man. And he knows the injustice that he's going through and the suffering that is in front of him. And he's now 
just moments after swiping an ear off, rejecting and multiple times says, I don't even know the guy and leaves Jesus all by himself to suffer unjust punishment from a distance. Does that feel like you and me? This is not just this man who's experienced stuff like this. It's we are the self-same people who work through difficulties and find ourselves one day in one camp and then one day in another camp. And depending on the convenience of the situation, we will respond to it in a particular way. So if you're all by yourself and people are starting to accuse you and you feel like maybe if I admit it, it puts me in a tough spot, maybe you shy away from the injustice and you say, well, it's not that big of a deal. You look across at other people, other churches, other environments, other work environments, and you say, oh, no big deal. And then sometimes, man, if this thing hits close to home and you feel strong enough on that day, maybe you'll step up. So this is the type of man we're talking about, one like us, who's experienced things That we've experienced. And he comes out of that and weeps bitterly and repents. And then Jesus embraces him again and then charges him to do the work of Jesus' ministry after Jesus ascends to heaven. And so Peter is left in this broken world to he himself suffer the same injustice that Jesus suffered. And to watch all of these people do the same thing 30 years Later, he pens this letter to five provinces in Rome. Do you think he saw in those 30 years a fair share of injustice? I think he probably did. He witnessed it firsthand with Christ. And I'm sure for 30 long years of ministry, he saw a whole lot of suffering. A whole lot of trials. And then he also suffered the same type of injustice that Jesus did around 65 AD, just maybe two years later after he pens this letter. He's hung upside down on a cross, tradition says, and he's crucified by the emperor Nero. And so not only does he witness it, but then he experiences it. And it's the same person that we're about to kind of dive into that passage. Just keep in mind, this guy gets it. He gets it. It's not foreign. He understands what's going on. And in just a couple short years, he's going to receive it to death. So the hearers, imagine the hearers who receive this and like, bruh, if anyone knows what they're talking about, it's this dude. And then imagine reading it and being taught by this guy. And then a couple years later, witnessing the emperor Nero Hang him upside down and think to yourself, this guy has something to say about that experience he's enduring even right now. So imagine the the hearers. This is not an impersonal letter. This is not an impersonal experience. This is very, very with and among. And I want to invite all of us into the reality that this is very with and among us. And some days it's more than others. And maybe at this particular time in your life, it's less or more. I don't know. But the Bible has a whole lot to say about this. So quickly scanning the people who Peter is writing to in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. It says this, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect 
exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. So this was a mixture of both Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. People who grew up in the Jewish faith and people who grew up, grew up as pagans and who knew nothing of it. So imagine the audience again. Some of them identify themselves as people who have been dispersed. Jewish Christians from the homeland, from Jerusalem. For centuries, these people were taken out and brought back in. Subjected, tortured, rejected, abused, taken back in to safety. Build up walls around the castle. And then once again, another army comes in and crushes the wall, take them out and bring them back in. These people, it's a sacred tradition for them to be exiled and to suffer unjustly. And then there's a whole other group of people that are reading this letter or hearing this letter for the first time. And they don't have a tradition of suffering. And a, a phrase like, you elect exiles, doesn't really register for them doesn't mean too much because what does it mean to be elected to be exiled I just kind of grew up here it's always been my place and i think a lot of times we fall into this category where we don't have sacred traditions and ages and ages and generations and generations gone by particularly growing up in this country where we would look around and say man it's just a habit for us we always suffer unjustly most of us, I think, come from a, a space in life where it's pretty sure. Like, to the tune of like, it's my lane, don't drive in it. It's my yard, don't park on that side of the curb into my grass. You dummy, it's my yard. That would be more common to us. We are like, well, this, these are my clothes, my possessions, my children. I'm in charge. I'm responsible. I'm secure. I have everything that I need. No one subjects me. And if you do, watch out. I will send you a terrible email. <laughs> or whatever your response may be. But... But often we come from an entitled place and it's important to know that these people were receiving elect exile in relationship, these people with people who could share their story that that is not really the way things are in God's kingdom. It's important to position ourselves in such a way that we're reminded that we are, by God, elected to be in a particular place and often an uncomfortable one. So if you remove 1 Peter 1.1, 1, 1, it's easy to say like, hey, it's my lane. But there's a, there's a confession on the front end that says you. You've been elected to be exiled. Exiled people understand something about the surroundings they're in. It's not theirs. They don't make the calls. They're not the dominant one. They're not the one on top. They're not the one oppressing other people. They, on the other hand, are the ones underneath. They are the ones who are being oppressed. They are the ones who are being taken advantage of. And he calls them these people. And if we miss this, we'll think it applies to someone else. But this applies to us. And if we're not careful, we're entitled to such a degree that says, how dare you? 
Do you know that I'm not in exile? I am the oppressor. And if you cross me, then I will give you this. But that's not the position that God puts these people in. Therefore, by extension, that's not the position that He's putting us in. It's important to know who He's writing to, where their mentality is. So these exiles have a specific purpose in Peter's mind. And as we jump into it, I just want to set up. We're going to jump into verse 18, but I want to set this up just before verse 18. He's kind of, he's getting them ready for some social ordinances that he wants them to live by. He says, hey, respect and honor the emperor, same emperor who crucified him a couple years later. Respect and honor him. Hey, husbands and wives, you should have a particular type of relationship with one another, and this is what it should look like. So he's lining out what social interactions look like with people who are in the kingdom of God. And he gets to slaves or servants, which is where we're going to spend our time in a moment. But just before that, right before he's going to drop some bombs on them, he inflames them and encourages them and tries to align them with a particular way of thinking. And this is what, this is what he says. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Once you were not a people. I would imagine he's, the Gentiles are hearing this loud and clear. You were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh. He's speaking their language right now. These people are oppressed by a large government called Rome and an emperor who's probably around the provinces. Maybe the persecution is starting to happen. This is the emperor who would take people, Christians, and he would post them up in his backyard or in his garden. And for candlelight, he would set them on fire. We learn this from church history. This is that guy, and he's, and he's trying to align them and call them out and remind them, hey, you guys, do not live according to the things of this world, because man, the things of this world, they're not going to be good. They don't know what's coming, and maybe Peter doesn't even know what's coming, but it's coming in an intense way. He goes on, verse 12, keep your conduct among the, among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, and this is key, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the, days of, on the day of visitation. Not that you would be able to get out of Dodge when it gets tough. But that when it gets tough, you would glorify God with your actions, with your words, and with your deeds. So let's work through verse 18. And he's aligning them, right? He's calling them out. Be a certain type of people. Tells them about the emperor. Tells them about husbands and wives. And then he, he talks to the slaves. He says, servants. Now, these are household slaves. The word that's used there, it's a household slave. So these are people who are caring for other people. And now you got to remember, this is not a really like, this is not the lifestyle you want. In Rome at that time, about 20% of the people in Rome were slaves. About 20%. 
If, if you could imagine, too, inside of the Christian church, which was a very marginalized group of people, not the majority. There were not churches on every corner. This was a very new faith and new religion out of the Jewish tradition. So this was not popular. And so you would have to imagine probably a lot of people on the underside are gathering around this marginalized group of people who are following a man, great king, who was killed on a cross. Gathers a certain type of person, wouldn't you think? And so he's talking to these people, hey, you who are slaves, caring for other people inside of their home. That is quality. (laughs) I'd love to see that vehicle. He says, hey, slaves, be subject to your masters with all respect. These people have completely, they've been, their rights have been taken away. They don't make choices. They don't get to choose what kind of clothes they're going to wear. They don't have the ability to wake up and say, this is my yard. They're subjected. They're oppressed. He speaks directly to these people who are the most marginalized people who are in God's kingdom. And this is what he has to say to them. Be subject to your masters with respect It's like, but has to be coming. You would think, right? Like, so this is how the great Apostle Peter, who walked with Jesus from the beginning of his ministry, and then has seen all of these things, all of the injustices, and then he addresses those people and he says, be subject to them. Oh, and by the way, do it with respect in your heart. He's calling people to be a different people. We don't get that he's speaking to elect exiles who are following a crucified, oppressed king when he was living. Now, that's not how the story ends. But if we don't remember that this is the way of the Christian faith, we might find ourselves in opposition to it in the country in which we live. With the air condition in our church. With the rows neatly divided. And my seat is right there. That doesn't seem to be what's going on here. Be subject to them. This is a different sort of mentality. These are free men, but enslaved. Be this way with honor and respect in your heart in the middle of your oppression. So not only, going on verse 18... To the good and the gentle. And some slaves would hear that and say, well, yeah, I could do that. I live in this home. I've cared for this child since they were born. Like, this is really like my family. And some of those slaves were in familial type of situations. But then he doesn't stop there. He goes on and says, but also to the unjust. Well, you had me for a minute there. But come on. Are you telling me that I should honor people in my heart who give me oppression and injustice? Seems to be what he's saying. And this is not the way of the world. This is the way of Christ. And we have to be careful. Because the world in which we live doesn't teach us the ways of Christ. The world in which we live teaches us the ways of get back up. 
become powerful again. Don't suffer at the hands of people who should not give you suffering. Push it away, dominate it, return it like for like. But this is not the way of Jesus. So, for this, it goes on to say in verse 19, for this is a gracious thing. Now he commends it. He says, this is a praiseworthy, commendable thing. Hey, you slaves. Hey, you slaves. When your master, the word he uses, treats you unjustly. And what does that look like? Whips. Separating you from your family, taking your children from you, maybe raping your wife. I mean, I I can't even begin to imagine the oppression. And he postures these people in a particular way toward their oppressors. Now, this is not to say we leave ourselves in these types of situations. Now, we advocate for these people. Christ advocates for us. I advocate for a, a little girl in foster care. I am not saying that we are pacifists and just watch things go by. No, no, no. This is heart surgery that Peter is implying. These oppressed slaves, they can't go anywhere. They can't do anything. They can't rise up and become a people who then turn it around on others. He's aware of that. And there's all sorts of situations in your life today where you don't have the power to come up. You can't control and make sure that things go a particular way. So what would God tell you in a day like that? Rise up and fight when you're going to lose? Or would He tell you in your heart, this is what you need to remember. You're an elect exile. And when you suffer, remember that you follow your Savior. That's what he would remind us of. So it's a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. So a God-centered perspective in the middle of suffering is a commendable thing. When you're in the middle of hardship, to have him right in the center with God in mind, then it is a noble thing to suffer injustice. Because you recognize with God in mind, what do you know in that moment when God is in mind? Maybe he's put me here. That's what, that's what you know. When you, tr- when you trust in God being the one who elects to exile, It postures your heart differently in the middle of the exile. It doesn't change the exile, but it postures you. It teaches you something with God in mind when he's at the center. Verse 19, it goes on, For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? There's an interesting layering that's happening now, and I kind of want to bring it to the surface. In just a moment, but I want to ask you a couple questions. Are you suffering as a result of your own decisions? And it's important to ask yourself that question. Because often we don't think of ourselves as the reason why we are suffering. 
And the Bible says, when you're beaten for your own decisions and sin, are you looking for credit? Have you come to terms with whether or not your suffering is a, is a result of you and the decisions you've made? And have you taken responsibility for those decisions? That's not the story of Christ, but that is the story of me. It is the story of you. It's certainly the man who's writing it. It's the story of Peter who remembers rejecting Christ and knows the bitterness and anguish in his own heart for making bad choices recognizing that that will affect him for the rest of his life. You don't walk away from rejecting Christ like that on that night, free and clear. Something stays with you. And there's things in our lives that are very much the same. Where we're working through things, and let me ask you this, are you blaming other people for your suffering? Are you looking at others and saying they're the reason? The reason I'm suffering through this, it, it might be because of my decision, but they added on to the suffering, and that's, that's where we are today. And I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan of this, and I'm not a fan of you. That could very well be the place you're in. Are you enduring the suffering, or are you running from it? Another choice we have always. In the middle of our difficulty and hardship, we can either lean in, or we can lean away. And the journey that Christ took, unlike Peter, Jesus leaned in, and Peter, he ran away. So even in the middle of suffering, the Scripture would encourage us to continue on if God is in the middle of it. Now again, I want to be clear. There are some of you in here who would say, how could you say that? Would you keep me in this situation? No. We don't just sit back and take it and relax. We're talking about a heart posture here today, the heart of Christ. And we advocate and we do work on behalf of and we go on mission and we open up our homes and we say no to injustice and we stand up for righteousness and truth and we become educated and we do all the things. But often, we can't change, I can't change this court situation that I'm in with this foster care, with this little girl. I just can't. I wish I could tell the judge, this is what you need to do, but I can't. And so what can I do? I either get bitter at her and mad and angry, which I've done. I've gotten off these Zoom calls and I am just mad. And I need to remember things like this. So I'm going to go on in verse 20, but if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. So now I want to ask you a few questions. If you're doing right and you're suffering. You've done the right things. You're in a good position. What is the reward you're looking for to make things right in your heart? Because we're all looking for reconciliation of some type, right? Like we're wounded in some way, we're hurt in some way, and we need something to make it right. Everyone's got a different something. What are you looking for? And you need to realize that you probably won't get it. I don't think Jesus was looking for the cross. 
And it's interesting that He was on the cross because of me. And it's not my story that because of what I did to Him through my sin, that He had to suffer under the wrath of God in my place for my sin. It's interesting that He didn't rise from the dead and then annihilate me. Because for some of us, that's precisely what we would want. If you do me a great disservice and injustice, I am going to retaliate. And there's a lot of things, and it doesn't look like death all of the time, but it could look like this. Are you looking for an apology? And if they apologize, then maybe I'll make it right. But if not, no way. There's no way I'm going to forgive them. Unless they do this. Are you looking for others to acknowledge your suffering and your hurt? To finally give voice and credence and reliability to your character that you endured this. And man, now I'm finally recognized and I have been now put back into a place where I can hold my head up because these, these people have admitted this. I've been seen and now everything is right. Is that what you're looking for? Are you looking for the other person to suffer or is there a certain amount of time that must pass? So that they know that they did something wrong. Goes on to say, for, th- for to this, so he's telling the slaves, for to this, all this nastiness we're talking about, you have been called. So first they're instructed to submit, then submit with honor. Then they're called to submit with honor to people who treat them unjustly. Then they find out that their reward for doing so is just a commendation from God. And then they find out you're called to it. This just kind of gets worse and worse. It's an unfolding that you're hoping for the other coin to like flip, you know, and the other shoe to drop. And it's just like, this dude just like double downing. Can he be trusted? Does this guy know about suffering? This is tough. I bet you, Peter, I'd like to think that he would remember back when he's saying something like that. To this you've been called. Matthew chapter 4, verse 18 says this. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, speaking of Jesus, he saw two brothers. Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. Casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets, and they followed him. And all the suffering that Jesus endured, that Peter saw, and all of the suffering that Peter came up against, and that he saw for those 30 years, I have to imagine, at some point, maybe many, 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 many times, he thought to himself, I was called to this. This is not by accident that I'm here. I was elected. I just was like, fishing, man. I was just trying to get lunch. And then this dude just comes up and caught. It's like he chose me and took me out of the place that was comfortable and brought me to an exiled place. Bet you Peter was thinking about stuff like that. And then he's speaking to people. About this, imagine being the hearer of this letter, this man, this word from God, and you thinking to yourself, this makes sense. Now, it doesn't make sense, but it makes sense. 
It's a beautiful thing. Beautiful thing. So we have been called to this because we follow him and he walked in this type of suffering. When Peter decided to drop his nets, he was saying yes to the cross that he was going to be called to pick up. And it goes on in verse 21, because Christ also suffered for you. And this repositions our heart, doesn't it? When all of a sudden it turns to those slaves. Those slaves probably, on, on, there's got to be at least one of them is outraged. I mean, you've got to imagine at least one of them is thinking like I'm thinking if I'm reading this the first time. And thinking, how dare you? And then he turns it on him and said, hey, remember Christ. He suffered because of you. And all of a sudden, you have the blood on your hands. You're no longer the one who is being oppressed by someone who has blood on their hands, but now you're repositioned. The gospel rightly repositions us and reminds us and says, no, 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 dude, you're not the guy on the underside of power. You, your sin, you are the guy on the over. You're the oppressor. You're the sinner. You have blood on your hands. It changes us. Listen, if any of you are in here and you think that you are the one who's been victimized, you need to remember the gospel. You need to remember the story of Jesus. You need to remember that he elected you and brought you to a hard place. You need to remember that he went down that path first. You need to remember that he is with you on your path now. It changes it. It moves, from, it moves from this, it moves to worship. It moves from anger and outrage to that, that was me. And you saved me from that person. What a beautiful story. It turns everything upside down. So finishing up verse 21, he leaving you an example so that, so that you might follow in his steps. The word example, it's, it's kind of like tracing over. Have you ever taught your kids or grandkids in days gone by how to trace? And that's, that's what that word means in its original intent. It's like he's left you tracing, but there's dots disconnected and you kind of fill it in, but you stay in the path. And this is the path. And you can't just say, I don't want to trace that number. I want to trace this one. I'm going to reject that. I'm going to embrace it. You can't do that. He's left you an example. Stay in the middle of it. Put pen to paper. Stay on the journey. Doesn't mean the hurt's going to go away. It doesn't mean the pain's going to go away. It doesn't mean it's going to be made right. It doesn't mean someone's going to say they're sorry. It doesn't mean that you're going to be acknowledged. It doesn't mean that you'll ever, ever, ever be delivered from that hurt or from that pain. It doesn't mean anything other than you'll be commended by God and you will follow Jesus. And I want to ask you this. Is it, is it enough for you? Is it enough for you to have God's approval and to follow in his steps? Is that satisfactory or do you need more? 
And if you need more, you will never get it. And it is not God's way. It's not what He modeled for us. Goes on in verse 22. He, Jesus, committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in His mouth. He didn't do anything wrong. He was completely disserviced. And when He was reviled, He did not revile in return. Yeah, but you don't understand my situation. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know how hard it is. I don't, but He does. And I know the model. I know the trace. I know the path that He left for us. And it doesn't look like I gotta get this back. But he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He submitted. Not to, he didn't want to control everything, but he submitted to God, the one true and final judge who sees everything. Who will one day in finality bring all things to bear and He will make all things right and justice will be served across all of time for every person, those in Christ, heaven, and those who are far from Him, hell. Justice will be served. And this is what Christ modeled for us. He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. And by His wounds, you have been healed. No! I need to be healed when they say they're sorry. I will be healed when this. No, it'll take this. No, no, no. By Jesus, you have been healed. To the slave who is subjected and oppressed, He tells them, you're never going to be healed by something else. It's only going to be Him. That slave who was outraged at the beginning of this, I can probably see he begins to melt. And this is me. This is you. As we're reminded of his wounds on the cross as a result of our sins, and we realize that is our only way to be healed. It's our only redemption. It's our only way to feel like reconciliation has been made. For you... We're straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. I mean, he just finishes this thing off and just says, man, and this is who you are now. And doesn't it feel good? So he starts by telling them, obey the emperor, submit to your husband, submit to your master. Brings them all the way down that road of difficulty and turns the whole thing on them. Reminds them of who they are, where they came from. And then says, but doesn't it feel good to be found by God? To have His commendation and to follow in the way of Jesus. What more do you want? Good story. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this morning. God, we're grateful For your word, we're grateful that you have shown us your way through your word. God, help us to become more like you. God, we need your grace in the middle of the injustice. God, for those in here this morning who have stories that have not been told, harm that has been done, hidden, brokenness, 
that they are fully aware of. God, this morning, would you please heal them? Would you heal them because of what Jesus has done? And God, to those in here who are still waiting on a word from a person who has wounded them, they're still waiting on things to be made right, would you remind them this morning that it is only you who can make things right? God, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Thank y'all. Y'all have a good day.